0: This man-made humanitarian nightmare for the long-suffering Syrian people must stop. The civil war
1: in Syria started with a bang. What began as the Arab Spring, pro-democracy demonstrations erupting all over the Middle East in 2011, soon turned into war when the Syrian government had enough. Crackdowns intensified, Syrians killed, as protesters demanded the resignation of President Bashar al-Assad. And the civil war erupted. Not to mention the factions of fighting also carried out by ISIS and Kurdish forces in the region. Innocent Syrians caught in the crossfire as the world chose sides.
2: If we fail to act, the Assad regime will see no reason to stop using chemical weapons.
1: The U.S. and Canada blaming Syria for the atrocities, while the Syrian government gained support from Russia and Iran. Evidence of chemical weapons being used on civilians were proven, and the U.N. found massive evidence that war crimes had been committed as airstrikes killed more. The true number of lives lost will never be known, as estimates are that hundreds of thousands of Syrians have perished since 2011. The UN estimates almost 6 million Syrians have fled to neighboring countries and abroad, including here in Canada, while nearly 7 million are internally displaced. And yet the war continues to this day. Today on Context, Syria, 11 years later. Why is there still unrest and what has happened to the millions who fled? Welcome to Context, I'm Maggie John. Huchang Hassan Yari is Professor Emeritus at the Royal Military College of Canada. He teaches comparative politics and international relations and joins us to explain what has been happening in Syria and other regions uh, over the past 11 years. Thank you, Professor Husan Yari for joining us today.
3: My pleasure. Thank you for the invitation.
1: Most recently, we have heard of Israeli airstrikes in Syria. 11 years ago, the unrest in Syria began with pro-democracy protests and quickly turned to war. What is the state of Syria today?
3: Uh, In the past uh, two years or so, uh, we don't see any major um, military operation for the simple reason that uh, most of the um, the groups, uh, armed forces uh, uh, groups uh, uh, who were Um, combating against the Bashar al-Assad or the government's uh, forces in Syria, Uh, they are almost dismantled or extremely weakened. Uh, There is some kind of resistance in the west of the country, but uh, we don't see any uh, major uh, development there, uh, um, not only because of the uh, the internal uh, dynamic uh, in Syria, but also uh, for uh, 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 regional and uh, international um, geopolitics. uh, The situation there, too, is uh, changing and uh, requires uh, that uh, the big actors like uh, Russia and uh, Iran, uh, they uh, have to take care of other issues uh, that they are involved in internally and externally.
1: Why does the conflict continue, you think?
3: Yeah, if I uh, just uh, go back to to 2011 very quickly to give a... a kind of uh, account of what happened. Uh, It it happened in the context of the so-called Arab Spring. Uh, So uh, when uh, everything started in Tunisia and then from there uh, moved to Egypt and uh, to the East, to uh, uh, Syria among other countries, uh, what the protesters were uh, asking for in Syria, it was really uh, some uh, cosmetic uh, political Uh, reforms, uh, some economic reform. There was no question uh, uh, about ending the uh, 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 regime in in the the Assad regime in Syria, Uh, but the Syrian government from day one, uh, uh, they started calling uh, the protesters terrorists, and uh, that opened the door uh, for the Syrian government to legitimize what it's going to do. Uh, meaning uh, attacking uh, by uh, uh, force, uh, militarily force, very violent uh, the protesters. And then uh, that uh, radicalized uh, the position of uh, uh, Syrians who were fighting against the regime. And uh, that created, obviously, a huge uh, opportunity for a number of terrorist groups uh, in the region uh, to intervene in Syria and then uh, to... uh, 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 to fight uh, not only uh, the Syrian government forces, but also uh, uh, among themselves. The other reason is the intervention by uh, Iranian forces, the Islamic Republic of Iran forces uh, uh, and Hezbollah uh, uh, extended uh, the arm of the Islamic Republic. Uh, That, too, uh, uh, they intervened uh, in support of the Bashar al-Assad regime, the government's uh, forces. Uh, and that obviously uh, uh, helped uh, uh, to, uh, uh, for the conflict uh, to prolong.
1: This war hasn't just impacted Syria, but it has impacted regions surrounding the countries as well. Tell us about that.
3: Thousands and thousands of refugees in Jordan. A very weak economy uh, of that country faces a lot of hardship. Uh, in Lebanon, more than one million uh, Syrians in a very small country we know Uh, the kind of economic problems, political problems that uh, Lebanese uh, have to face. So the presence of uh, the uh, the Syrian refugees and this conflict impacts directly uh, those countries. Plus, obviously, uh, Turkey, uh, which is uh, host to uh, uh, more than one or two million, the the figures are not very clear, uh, uh, Syrian refugees there. That creates also also, uh, some animosities among the Turks who... Uh, have their own uh, arab minority, and uh, uh, those uh, Syrians who move to uh, to uh, Turkey, uh, many of them they are Arabic as well. So that uh, could destabilize somehow uh, the political system in uh, in Turkey.
1: All right. Thank you so much, Hucheng Hassan Yari, Professor Emeritus at the Royal Military College of Canada. Thank you for your time today, sir.
3: It's my pleasure. Thank you.
1: The state of Syria continues to be unstable, as we just heard, and so is reality for those who are Christians in Syria. Fayez Youssef ministers to Christians in the region and joins me now to shed light on what life is like for Christians 11 years into this conflict. Thank you so much, Fayez, for joining me today.
2: It's my pleasure. Thank you so much.
1: It has been 11 years, Fayez, uh, since the war began in Syria. What is life like there now?
2: Uh, this you're very right about uh, that uh, situation there uh, is, uh, is e- even worse than time of the battles. Mm. The people in Syria, generally speaking, Christians is part of the of the community there who are all suffering from the situation, especially the economic situation. If you just imagine that the Syrian dinar uh, was worth uh, fifty, uh, uh, the dollar is worth 50 dinars. Now it is up to 5,000 dinars. So you imagine the drop of the income of people uh, who cannot buy uh, the food, they cannot buy the fuel for uh, the solar or the diesel for uh, the the heat in the winter. Winter is very difficult. So many people has to work in two jobs. uh, the the, the, The couple, the wife and husband has to work. They have to work two jobs at least just to make it to the maximum half the month.
1: And what is it like for Christians in the region there?
2: The whole region, of course, the whole. when you talk about the Middle East, there are seven countries who have a Christian traditional existence still there, uh, like Syria, Lebanon, Iraq, Jordan, Egypt, Sudan, uh, West Bank, uh, Israel. This, these are the, the only seven countries who still have a Christian uh, existence there from the beginning of Christianity in the, uh, in the first century. But this number is dropping day after day, especially the last 10, 15 years, uh, where uh, the population of Christians would be between 10 to 15, 20 percent of these countries. Like Syria, for example, it used to be 10 percent. but. People are leaving the countries. People are finding it's difficult as citizens to live there because of the war, the civil war.
1: Fayez, why do you think people have forgotten about this war?
2: Uh, It's far from sight, far from mind and heart. That is the thing we go, sadly, as Christians. We follow the media, which has a great power of reminding us of what is going on. So now you have, if there is an earthquake in Haiti, everybody thinks about Haiti, which is great. Now the war in Ukraine, so everybody is is busy with the war in Ukraine. So media is leading this. And especially when you are talking about an acute situation like the war and civil war, This is where the news are there and everybody uh, 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 have attention for it, especially when the time was the waves of immigration. If you remember the people who died on the sea and this little boy from the Kurdish Syria who died on the shore, it had a great uh, impact on the community around the world. But now what we call the chronic problem, the chronic problem is people are suffering from the situation, uh, No very bad economy. So, uh, people, we, are, we get busy with the media and the, with the news, so we forget the, the, the suffering of people. But if you still know that there, half of the Syrian population are forced to live out of their homes until today, mm-hmm. 12 million Syrian, mm-hmm. 6 million are uh, refugees in other countries, and 6 million are still internally displaced in Syria. So it's the problem is still there and it's growing every day.
1: And why do you continue to minister in that area of the world, Fayez? Uh,
2: it's, I was born here. I love the place. Um, there are so when when you live in a place and you find the light and you find the truth and you say, I can't hide it. I need to share it with my people. I want my people in Egypt and in Syria and in Iraq to know about the love of Christ and the savior who can save us from, uh, can be our our shepherd here in this world and the heavenly father and eternal life. This is the best news anyone can hear. After I heard that, I felt, how can I keep silent about that? Especially this place was a place where, uh, like you read in in Matthew four about uh, that, the fame of Jesus was spread all over Syria. Uh, this is in in the Bible and and uh, Syria and uh, you you know Damascus was a place where uh, uh, Paul was going to attack there and uh, and and kill the believers and this is on the road to Damascus he met the Lord. Uh, Egypt has many great promises uh, in the Bible uh, that the Egyptians will know the Lord. That's the Lord saying in Isaiah nineteen, "I will make myself known to the Egyptians and the Egyptians will worship the Lord." So seeing these promises but not only that trusting that the word of god that the people who live in darkness and in the shadow of death will see a great light we see this it is not a promise far in the future it is happening now Uh, it is happening now people are meeting with the lord the church is growing in syria one of the, the great news the church during this time is growing in number and it's growing with numbers of people who never been able to go to a church, traditionally speaking. Now they are there in the church. uh, Egypt then grows, the the number of Christians are growing. So we see this happening. Many people can see uh, of non-Christian background, visions and dreams Mm. about Jesus Christ. So this is all making me, I, I wanna be part of this beautiful story.
1: In the midst of so much tribulation that there is hope. Thank you so much Fayez Youssef for your time today.
2: Well, thank you so much.
1: As you know, more than 25,000 Syrian refugees now call Canada home, fleeing at the height of the war. I recently visited one man who has found success and community here in Canada. Aleppo Kebab is a Syrian restaurant located in the east end of Toronto. Opened in 2019, it is run by Syrian refugee Zakaria Al-Mukdad. And in the short time they've been open, they've had a lot of success. Ranked top five best kebab restaurants in Toronto and five-star reviews, Zakaria has shown in the short time he's been here in Canada that home is what you make it. Zakaria, thank you so much for having us here.
0: You are very welcome and it's, my, uh, it's honor, uh, honored for us to have you today at Alibu Kebab.
1: Tell me about this spread. About all of, all of this beautiful food.
0: Uh, we have uh, the kebabs. Yes. And you know the appetizer. Yeah. So we started with the uh, white garlic sauce.
1: Yes, I love garlic sauce. Oh my god. Fatouche
0: salad. yes. And uh, bread crumbs. Yes. And with the spices, and pickles, hummus, Lotus, which made yes. is uh, of tahini and uh, chickpeas, and. Yeah.
1: All of the good stuff. All
0: good stuff and <laughs> we have uh, the fries. The
1: universal fries. Every everyone, country, right? Every, it loves fries. But no,
0: this one is something special. Oh. Because we uh we have the um, the spices we put on it okay. so it can make it very special. Okay. And baba ghanoush. Baba ganuj, which yes. everyone love it. Yes. And so it's prepared with love. Everything here prepared with love. Oh. And the main course is the kebabs. Beautiful. Look at this.
1: Beautiful. So
0: we are almost like 20 minutes, oh. still here and still hot. Smelling so um, good. And look, look the, the smoke is coming out Beautiful. from this tender meat, and we have the alebu kebab, Adana kebab, beef cubes, chicken, wow. grilled veggies, onion, jalapeno, and tomato. Wow. And spices.
1: Back home is Syria. Yes. You came to Canada in 2016. Tell me about life back in Syria. What was that like?
0: Life back in like before the, you know, the war yes. in, in Syria started in 2011, and before 2011 we were living in peaceful. Mm. So very peaceful life, so very easy, um, it's not complicated, yeah. so everyone loved each other. And we, we used to work very hard. And I mean, you had a
1: restaurant in Syria I, too? I had my
0: restaurant back home in Syria, and it was a tourist restaurant. And I had people from all over the world. They come to my restaurant. We treat them nice, so, like here, yeah. like how I'm treating them like home. Yeah. So when the tourists, they come to my restaurant, I treat them like if they are coming to my house.
1: Take me back though, to the beginning of the war. And what was that like for you, Zakhar? You had a business, your home. To have all of that, I heard it was destroyed, your house and your, your business?
0: Yeah, my house, my home, everything destroyed and uh, we were suffering. And so the bombing was around us. Everything started destroying, destroying, uh, destroyed around us. So I decided, okay, so Syria is not safe anymore. So we escaped with my family to Jordan.
1: Wow. And how long were you in Jordan
0: for? So we spent about four years in Jordan. Until we got the- refugee camp? No, we were, like, we started our journey in Jordan, in the, in the, in the, in the refugee camp, yes. but then we moved to the to the to the capital.
1: Okay, and what is that like, Zakaria? You know, I think about the people that will be watching. They've never had to leave their home. They've never had to flee because of war. What is that like to pick up your family and to flee the country that you your home, the place you love?
0: Yeah, it's not easy. Like, yeah. so you you were like living in a very beautiful house, very very nice environment. And success, one day success, everything. everyone around you loving, loving each other. And one day the war destroyed everything and forced you to leave. Yeah. So actually, when I went to Jordan, so I was thinking, OK, let's go to Jordan for Jordan was close closed country to Syria yeah. and I will go there for a few days. Right. OK, or a few weeks yeah. and then the, the, the war will end and we go back, go back. And look after now 12 years where we are, like we are in Canada. Yeah. So we are building a home here. Yeah. You
1: know? Would you ever go back to Syria?
0: I would love. Yeah. I would love to go back to Syria because I have my families. I have my relatives and my siblings still there. I would love because I have memories. I would love to like, to go back and remember all these memories. Yeah.
1: Now, I mean, you have all the success in Canada. What has it been like being here in Canada?
0: Actually, I'm very proud to be here. Yeah. Because I, I feel myself, um, I'm in Syria. Mm. To be honest, nothing like home, yeah. right? But I still feel I have the love. I, I, I face too much love here. Yeah. And always my mother, she's telling me, wherever you feel safe, that's your home. Yeah. And now I feel safe in Syria. I'm really, um, I, I'm, I'm really safe here. Yeah. So I'm working here all day. And I, I, I'm not worried about my kids and my wife, my mother at home because I know they are safe. And we build very good relationship with our neighbors and uh, like where we live now. It's
1: interesting that you said that safety, because it's something that if you are born here, you don't really think about. You almost take it for granted that this is a safe country. No, this is
0: like uh, what we are getting now. It's it's big value for us, like safe, safe. You don't know like if when you you grow up in a, uh, like you, you 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 left the situation in the war yeah. and how the how you feel now really you feel uh, very grateful for where you are now
1: when you were in jordan you found out that you could go to canada that uh, yes. someone was going to sponsor you yeah. what was the reaction like for you and your wife in thinking that you're going to canada did you even know canada did you oh, know no, about... we
0: never like um, i i was hurting about canada and uh, i never think one day to leave syria yeah no, like and it was like a joke, mm-hmm. and, and it's like after uh, two three months, it's become true. Yeah. And so, and just I want to let you know how safe I, I was feeling in Syria. I never thinking to uh, make a passport in my life. Mm-hmm. So the first passport I make it in my life, it was in 2011 after the war started. Wow. Because I know the war, it's will, will break everything, and that will forced me to leave. Everything changed.
1: So when you came to Canada, when you and your family landed here, what was it like getting used to the cold weather, snow, everything, all the, all the things that come with Canada?
0: Yeah, actually like for someone who come by himself yeah. to Canada, it will be, he will be facing too much problems and trouble. But I'm lucky, I'm one of the pe- um, of the luckiest person in the world mm. because I get great support from my sponsor mm. for the first year. So from day one, we came to Canada, they were around us in each step. So that's make it easy for us to live and to adapt with a new life, with a new, new weather and new people. So they were really great supporter. And I think now it's I'm working on it to get more, to sponsor a family and to bring them to Canada. So I'm working on it. Zakaria
1: spends much of his time giving back, hiring refugees new to the country, and even offering discounts during the pandemic, not forgetting where he came from and the struggles he faced to get to this country. I love your spirit, Zakaria, and the fact that you haven't forgotten where you came from and you want to give back to your community.
0: Yeah, so yeah, actually, now I'm uh, I'm working, I'm working hard. Yeah. And I know people like back home in Syria, they need my support. Yeah. So I'm always, I'm like, I have my relatives, yeah. the priority. Then I have friends and neighbors so, who, who always asking me, they need support. And I try to support them as much as I can.
1: Mm. Well, congratulations, Zakara, so on much. all of your success. And thank, thank, thank you so, so much for having us today. <laughs> It has been 11 years since the conflict in Syria gripped the world. Conflict continues in that country, but the world has seemingly moved on. The Q panel is back. Colin and Julia are here. Calvin is away. Have we forgotten about Syria, Colin?
4: Well, yeah, I think to a substantive degree we have. It's, uh, it's less in the news. It's certainly less on my social media feeds. It's less in everyday conversation. It does come up from time to time. Uh, but does feel like uh, we haven't been talking about it in an active way recently.
1: There were recent airstrikes in Syria. Uh, Julia, do you feel like um, Syria's kind of fallen off the map when it comes to what we're listening to, what we're consuming uh, when it comes to media?
5: Yeah, you know, I th- I think that's partly how our news cycle works, right? I think there's two things: our capacity to hold multiple crises or conflicts in our hearts and minds is limited or probably exhausted is also a good word for it. So, yeah, when Afghanistan became top of mind, we stopped talking about Syria. When Russia invaded the Ukraine, for the most part, we stopped talking about Afghanistan. You know, the commitments remain, the work is ongoing, but that's kind of how we seem to work. I think, you know, like it can just be so overwhelming to hear and think about the many situations of crisis and need around the world and here at home, especially if we feel powerless to do anything about it. But, you know, these situations continue to matter, the people affected continue to matter, and we should care. And I think we want to care, Um, but at the same time, it's like we have to find a way to attend to things that's more to scale with our capacity. And unfortunately, our capacity does have limits.
1: We all remember seeing the image of little Alan Kurdi washed up on the shores of Greece, an image of the plight of many refugees in our world. What happened, do you think, Colin, to that emotion and empathy?
4: Well, some of it is what Julia is identifying already, that um, other things happen in the world, and those things capture our attention and consequently our emotions and our emotional bandwidth. Uh, also, these things are very often attached to our own sense of what we can accomplish. Um, when uh, when the first wave of conversations about uh, the Syrian immigration and immigration crisis hit, there were things that everyday Canadians could do to participate in helping people. I remember even in my local church community, we uh, we sponsored a, a pretty large family to come uh, immigrate to Canada, and it felt like we were accomplishing something. It felt like we were helping in a material way. Uh, some of that has not been as on our radar, not, av- not as available to us, uh, some of those tools Um, WE'VE MOVED DOWN THE ROAD IN THOSE CONVERSATIONS. Uh, AND IN SOME CASES, JUST LIKE JULIE WAS SAYING, OTHER HUGE CRISES HAVE OCCURRED, AND WE'VE BEEN ATTENDING TO THAT MORE THAN WE'VE BEEN ATTENDING TO THIS.
1: YOU KNOW, WE'VE ALL TALKED ABOUT THIS BEFORE ON THIS SHOW. 90 MILLION PEOPLE ARE DISPLACED AROUND THE WORLD, ACCORDING TO THE UN. THE NUMBER HAS INCREASED SINCE THE WAR IN UKRAINE. Is the international community doing enough? And, and you know both of you are saying this, how much do we do and how much can we do? But Julia, what, what are your thoughts on, on that? What more can the international community do? Specifically when we're talking about Syria, the fact that this war has been going on for 11 years uh, says that there are still people who are crying out for help in that country. Yeah. Yeah, we've
5: also talked, I think, on this program before about the long waiting lists for settlement or that backlog we have in yeah. Canada that keeps growing crisis by crisis. Those are de- dehumanizing terms that I shouldn't, shouldn't use. This backlog is made up of people, people who have been deeply traumatized, who've lost homes and business and family and community, and who continue to wait For their chance at resettlement and new life and new community and i you know i think there are things canada can and should do to speed up those processes i think there continue to be as colin said things that churches and communities can do to help with sponsorship and resettlement i mean this is not the serious situation but you know i've been encouraged just in my neighborhood by how many families i know of or have heard of who are sponsoring or hosting individuals or families from the ukraine so We have some of the means available to us, but the numbers are immense. The need is immense. And it does require that kind of um, deliberate, collaborative and coordinated effort from the global community to address it. At the same time, I think we're seeing growing xenophobia in parts of the world, which I think is kind of working against us and hindering some of that global cooperation effort that's required to respond well to these crises, and particularly to those unthinkable
1: numbers of displaced persons that we see. All right, we're gonna call it there. Colin and Julia, thank you again for your time.
4: Thanks very
1: much. It can be overwhelming when we think about the number of conflicts in the world right now, from Ukraine to Ethiopia, Afghanistan, Syria, Yemen, and so on. Each country has their individual conflicts that are ripping lives apart and causing people to flee. And while our 24-7 news cycle seems only to be able to focus on one conflict at a time, we need to remember that just because we might not hear about a country in the news any longer doesn't mean everything has been resolved. So how do we not fall prey to the media's manic chase after the next thing and sit with the fact that 90 million people children, parents, and grandparents are in search of a home. We care, we give where we can, and we lend our voice. After all, we're told to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Thank you for watching. Let us know what you think of today's topic. Join the conversation on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. For all of us here, on Maggie John. SEE YOU NEXT TIME.
5: THANK YOU FOR YOUR ONGOING SUPPORT OF CROSSROADS, A SUPPORTER-FUNDED nonprofit ORGANIZATION AND MEMBER OF THE CANADIAN CENTER FOR CHRISTIAN CHARITIES. THANKS TO FAITHFUL PEOPLE LIKE YOU, WE ARE ABLE TO CONTINUE PRODUCING CONTEXT. YOU CAN WRITE TO CROSSROADS, PO BOX 5100, Burlington, ONTARIO, L7R 4M2, OR VISIT CROSSROADS.CA TO LEARN MORE ABOUT OUR PROGRAMS.
1: Context Beyond the Headlines invites you to an exciting new season. This year we're expanding our reach with a brand new podcast that will explore the interaction between faith, justice, culture, ethics and society. As we move forward with this brand new season and the launch of this brand new podcast, would you consider partnering with Context financially? It is because of the generosity of viewers like you that we're able to continue
2: to tell the stories that matter.